This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Recovery Radio. Glad to be with you. My name is Steve Martoreno. I am here uh, talking about the disease of addiction and, most importantly, the road to recovery. It's all sponsored, of course, by Retreat Behavioral Health, about which more later. Well, uh, today is um, first first Saturday in uh, March, I guess, or maybe the second Saturday in March. I've lost track now. Uh, what I do know for certain is that for the past, well, four years now, the, this day in March has been given over to something called Black Balloon Day, which means that in your community, you might be driving around, even as we speak here now, and see balloons tied to posts in front of houses or a mailbox. They uh, unfortunately are not denoting somebody's birthday party or anniversary party. They are there uh, for a very specific reason that has something to do with, of course, the opioid uh, epidemic that's raging across this country. Black Balloon Day is what we're talking about and how a family's tragedy led to its creation and what they've learned in that uh, three or four year period. To that end, we welcome Diane Hurley with us from her home in uh, Massachusetts. Uh, Diane is uh, one of the co-founders of Black Balloon Day. She's speaking to us from uh, from Peabody. Hello, hello, Diane. Thanks for joining us on Recovery Radio. Hello, thank you for having me. I, I get a kick out of pronouncing Peabody because I I pride myself in being able to pronounce it correctly. Peabody. <laughs> no, how did I get? No, how did I get it? Did I get it right? <laughs> well, we say it Peabody, but when people say it correctly, they say Peabody. Yeah, well, they're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Diane, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Black Balloon Day now, as I understand it, this is the fourth year of Black Balloon Day. Um, let's talk about where it began. It, it began, as so many of uh, these movements do, with just a, a terrible tragedy uh, of uh, substance abuse in your family. Tell us the story of your son-in-law, Craig, uh, Greg. Well, we started Black Balloon Day as for remembrance when it was coming upon his one-year anniversary. You know, typically Typically, people will, you know, have a mass um, dedicated and, you know, for, usually for, you know, the older generation. And I just didn't see that as being appropriate um, for doing this for my grandchildren. So I wanted to think of a way that we could um, honor him on his anniversary and but also help my grandchildren realize that they're not alone, you know, with this losing somebody to this tragedy. So it was only two weeks prior to March 6th that my daughter put it out on Facebook as an invitation for people to join us in placing a black balloon um, somewhere in sight, whether it be a mailbox, a fence, a tree, or a place of, of employment. And so everyone can see that other people are affected by this as well. And in a two-week span, the first year, 42,000 people participated. And I think the main reason for this is not to be ashamed and to end the stigma. And if I have a black balloon hanging on my mailbox and maybe a neighbor down the street has one on theirs, it gives the opportunity to start a conversation and to, to be able to share with each other the loss of someone that you love. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Were, were you surprised at how many people responded to that first Facebook post? Absolutely. Uh, I truly thought 
it may be about a hundred people that were clo- that were close friends of ours. Um, and when it ended up going nationwide, that um, and we had forty two thousand people. It just it was unbelievable. This is a you know as you as you, I'm sure you're aware now from educating yourself on this disease. This is a totally uh, typical situation. You, you, nobody ever prepares for substance abuse, much less an, um, a drug overdose death in the family. Um, t- tell us about Greg and 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 your sort of family, and uh, how surprised or or how unaware were you that you had this problem? T- tell us about Greg. Well, my my daughter, he and my daughter got married um, young and started the family young. And he, you know, he truly loved family life. He he was the first one over here to you know decorate for a Halloween party and always loved to you know help cook. You know, he and I would always be fighting over the stove. And you know, he he was a good provider. He had a, he had a good job, and they were as I said, a very young couple, but. You know, they were only like 18 and 16 years old. And they owned their first home, so he was he was definitely a, a great provider, and and um, really loved his family and and really enjoyed being with his family. He would be the first one to you know, making the kids go out. Let's go sledding. Let's go for a hike. Let's do this. He always doing something with the kids. Always getting them outside and. He was like one of the kids, too, <laughs> playing mm-hmm, with them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there was nothing, uh, in, in spite of how young they were when they got married, there there was nothing uh, you could see about him that led you to think that there was any potential drug problems, right? Right. Absolutely. And he and your daughter, Diane, correct? No, Erin. Oh, I'm sorry, Erin. Um, mm-hmm. They they had four children uh, before he passed yeah. away. No. So, to the extent you you have information about Greg's uh, drug use, explain it to us. It was um, opioids that he overdosed on. Yes. So, so um, tell us about that. You know, we weren't we were aware the last couple of years that um, he had um, a problem. You know, just the typical. You know, they they uh, you know they ended up losing their home and, um, you know, basically losing custody of their children. Um, and the children, you know, came to live here with us. Um, and they, you know, they, they, my daughter especially, you know, did try going into different programs and, um, you know, to, to get herself back on track and, you know, get her children back. You know, he as well, she, you know, she was successful um, and unfortunately he was not. And um, he lost his life. Do you do you know how he was introduced to opioids? I honestly do not know. I I honestly don't have the answer to that question. Um, I know he has a family history. Um, he has. A, yeah, I don't. I don't know. He has a family history of uh, substance abuse. Yeah. Or he had. How about your family? Uh, no. Well, who came? At what point did, you, did your daughter come to you, or, or was the family becoming more and more aware that that Greg and and your daughter's life was falling apart? How did you that that moment when you have to really, you know, accept that this is going on is um, 
must be a horrible moment. How, how, how did you finally arrive at that, where you, where you knew something really wrong was going on? Uh, I, I guess you could just see that how they were losing everything they had worked so hard for. And, you know, and then especially when, um, you know, their children were taken away that, you know, you knew right then and there that their world was crumbling. Yeah. How, how, what were the circumstances of that? How did the state, I assume the, the Commonwealth stepped in and took the children away from them? Uh, yeah, it was uh, basically, I, I believe, more complaints from the school, from, you know, teachers about, you know, just different um, different things that were happening, you know, about Mm-hmm. Coming to school, maybe not right, you know, right. with the proper coat mm-hmm. um, for the weather, things like that. How old, um, how old were the? There were four children, right? Uh, there were three at the time. Yeah. What ages? Um, what ages were they? They were, I'd uh, say, maybe t- six, eight, and ten. Wow. So they were plenty old to understand something was wrong with mom and dad, right? Yes. Yes. When, when when you would visit them or go go to see them, were you, were you aware that they, that they were living in circumstances like that? How did you become aware? Um, of that? No, because it, it wasn't apparent in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, we weren't really. I mean, how much does the grandparents go visit? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we when my daughter had her you know her children, I had young children as well. Mm-hmm. So you know. M- you know, my daughter was four years old when she became an aunt. Oh, really? Oh, because you yeah, don't, so, everybody is so young. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I had my own young family. So we weren't constantly going, checking on their family. So uh, what happened? I want, I want to get, you know, you are uh, among a, uh, a growing segment of the population, grandparents that are... Uh, forced by circumstance to raise their grandchildren. I want to get into that just a little bit uh, a little bit later. But uh, you say that both your your your, uh, your son-in-law and your daughter were using together. Did did they both initially get treatment together or how did that go down? No, she um she, you know, I think he was actually, you know, dabbling more in different things, um not right into, you know, heroin. Um, you know, the the different drugs whatever they take. Um, that lead up to that heroin, but you know she was she wasn't. I mean she you know she was doing more like maybe drinking too much, um, and um, when they did go get treatment, she was the one that went to get the treatment, um, not him, because she wanted to get her children back. But with uh, uh, without regard to the children being taken away, were there other problems with law enforcement with the law and your son-in-law? Um, with him, yes, not with my daughter. She has no, no, you know, criminal record. He just, you know, little things like, you know, um, more driving a car, you know, without it being, mm-hmm. you know, registered and insured. You know, things that involved um, financial, you know, right? You, with money, more important to go where you wanted to go than, you know, on those things. That's why I said like they lost their home and. You know, they lost everything pretty much that they worked so hard for. How long did that process take? I mean, you you say they're very young, young kids get married too soon, young, but nevertheless, he's hardworking. They own a house at a remarkably young age. They're building a family. Uh, that that took a period of time. How how long did it take for all that to dissolve, go away? Um, I would say probably like maybe five years. 
that they were very happily living in their own home and um, until things started um, falling apart. Diane Hurley is our guest. Diane is the founder of Black Balloon Day, which is that day set up uh, set aside each year for the placement of balloons to remind people of uh, this disease of substance abuse and the toll it has taken, certainly in her family, for sure. This is Recovery Radio. We have more. Don't go away. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. I'm Steve Martoreno. We're talking with Diane Hurley from uh, Massachusetts. Diane is one of the co-founders of something called Black Balloon Day, which is going to take place this Wednesday, the 6th of March, fourth year in a row now. The black balloons you're encouraged in your community in your neighborhood uh, if you have if you have had the experience of losing someone to a substance abuse problem through an overdose that you uh, display a black balloon and let the community know that you remember uh, the loved one you lost and that they and you are not alone. It's an incredible idea. Diane told us in the first segment they had no idea they would get the response they got in. Just the first mention of Black Balloon Day four years ago now, uh, they received over 40,000 requests from people for more information. Uh, Diane, uh, let's talk a little bit about the situation with your your son-in-law and your daughter as they try to get uh, to get sober. Um, He he did. He he was mandated to get treatment at some point, right, by by the courts. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if it's so much that he was mandated to go to a program, but then when he, when he did, you know, some time for different things, you know, obviously, um, you're getting some clean time involved. You know, he did voluntarily go to the Salvation Army, mm-hmm. um, at one point, um, to, um, help himself, um, get clean. Um, but I, I don't know a lot of the, um, lot of history about mm-hmm. you know his um you know his um recovery his, his his true, yeah. recovery. yeah well your daughter had a different story though tell tell us what she did now she her her goal and we've heard this before many times she 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 lost her her children devastating mm-hmm. but 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 a real motivator to get her get her life in order correct right and um you know she did she did go to a few programs and you know some some are successful some aren't and um you know they they say just as long as you keep going back you're 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 headed in the right direction and she you know she finally found a place that was very successful for her and um she's she's doing great doing unbelievable do you uh yeah yeah you she's now over a year sober right yes and and the kids are with her now are they still with you well the the Three of the kids are adults now, oh. um, and one eleven is with her. Mm-hmm. Well, what um, what was the situation when she was? Were you discouraged, encouraged? Were, you know, when you watched her try to struggle with with this? I mean, there must have been relapses during that period of time, correct? Yeah, and hers wasn't um, hers wasn't drugs; it was alcohol um, at that point, and. Um, yeah, it's 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 discouraging because there's not a lot of programs for women. Um, there's quite a few programs for men, but very few for women. And um, I, you know, it's a little discouraging that there's did, did not she, as many. But like I said, she did find one that was extremely successful. Yeah. 
and um, it how, worked for her. How old was she during this period of time when she was trying to get uh, sober? When she was trying to get sober? Yeah, yeah. Um, this didn't start happening until her late 20s. Um, so I'd say from like 28 to... You know, thirty-five, perhaps. Oh, so the, okay. Uh, so this is a long stretch of time. I mean, you you know, we we pick up Craig and uh, and Aaron's story when they're very very young teenagers getting married. They had a long hi- history of substance abuse while they were together, didn't they? Um. Yeah. Well, the, there was a lot of the time that they weren't together. Um, you know, for different reasons, but they were, you know, they never divorced. Mm-hmm. Um, they always, you know, would be separated for a short period of time and then they'd be back together again. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they would try to, you know, get things back, you know, to where it were, they were before to get their life back on track. And, you know, somehow something would go wrong and, you know, it just didn't work out for the two of them. But when he passed, they were still, um, they were still legally married and, you know, good friends how old uh, greg was what third 38 when he passed away 38 yeah yeah um tell us the circumstances where were you and how did you find out about that and um i i was at work and um my daughter my other daughter and i both worked together and got the phone call that he had passed. My daughter got, my my oldest daughter, his wife, um, got the phone call that um, he had passed. Um, he was in Lynn um, at an apartment of a friend's and he had um, passed during the night, like early morning. Um, he was found um, deceased. Mm-hmm. So they did call my daughter and my daughter in turn called you know my, myself and my other daughter and then we went to notify the children. We didn't want them to um, hear about it on Facebook or, you know, a- or anyone giving them a call. We wanted them to hear it from their their mother, mm-hmm. how, you know, face to face. How old were the kids at this point? Um, the youngest of the first three, he was... Um, in high school. Okay, so these weren't um, you know, these weren't babies. They understood everything that was going on, right? They weren't babies, no. And but I don't really know if they they knew the extent of maybe what was going on. I I, I honestly I don't know the extent of what was going on. You know, he was you know he was exchanged from us at the time. You know, he wasn't living here. He wasn't living with his children. Mm-hmm. So you know, they saw him. You know, whenever they wanted. You know, so. But I don't know how aware they mm-hmm. were that there was a problem. So as far as the family was concerned, what you were looking at was just a, 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 a husband and a wife that weren't living together. They were having marital problems. He was all kinds of... But you had no idea he was descending into this kind of drug use. Is that it? Right. Exactly. No. Had no idea. And, and the, no idea. What was the impact on the children under those circumstances? What was that like? Well, I mean, you know, obviously, you know, extremely sad, but... You know, they all they all dealt with it differently, and so like my my granddaughter, she's the oldest, and she she trudged through and she kept going to school and she kept working and she didn't take any time off, you know, except obviously for the services, and then you know probably like six months later it hit her, 
because she didn't allow herself to grieve. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, she just kept herself wrapped up in her daily, you know, routine. Um, you know, and the boys took it, you know, very hard. My my youngest grandson was supposed to be buying a car that weekend with his dad. His dad was, you know, one heck of a mechanic. And he had saved up all his money, and they were going out um, shopping for a car. And his father passed away on Friday. He didn't go shopping for a car. It's not. So that was, you know, very heartbreaking for yeah. him. Like, this is when I need my dad. This is when he's supposed to be here. Diane Hurley and- is on. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm going to take a break, Diane. We'll come back and pick up on this story. Diane Hurley, our guest, she uh, lost a son-in-law and saw uh, her daughter's life shattered by substance abuse. They're putting it all back together now, and they founded something called Black Balloon Day, which is uh, March 6th coming up, when people uh, put balloons out to remember the cost of substance abuse and the people that have been lost. This is Recovery Radio. Please don't go away. Hi, we're back on Recovery Radio. My name is Steve Martirano. We'll rejoin our guest, Diane Hurley, straight ahead. But I want to take a moment, as I uh, do, every chance I get, to remind you of who's paying the freight around here. And that's the good people at Retreat Behavioral Health. And I I use the new um, definition of them um, and let you know that while they remain absolutely one of the leaders in substance abuse treatment, they have now broadened their reach. And we'll have more about what what all that means for retreat behavioral health in the coming weeks on the program. But I just want to do what I do each week at this time and give you their phone number and tell you that I hope you never have to use it. And I mean that sincerely. But as you can hear from this guest and other guests we've had, nobody sees this disease coming. Nobody's ready for it. And when it strikes, very few people know where to turn. Uh, retreat, they're, they're good people. I know them. I work with them. They are good people. They care. Uh, they've helped many, many folks. But this number is given to you for purely informational purposes. If there are any questions that you have about the disease of addiction, the treatment you're getting, questions concerning who pays for what, or any of those questions you might have, and don't know where to turn for really good answers, then you call Retreat, and someone will answer those questions for you. So here it is. Write it down. Put it in a drawer. Know where it is. And again, I hope to God you never have to use it. 855-859-8808. That's how you reach Retreat Behavioral Health. 855-859-8808. On the telephone with us is the founder of Black Balloon Day. That takes place in March, March 6th, as a matter of fact, just a couple of days away now. It's a day set aside nationally now and internationally to bring awareness to the deaths from drug overdoses. The numbers we we tell you about all the time, staggering, staggering numbers of death, accidental overdoses, something like over 70,000 a year now. I mean, it's it's a, the word slaughter comes to mind. Uh, Diane Hurley is the driving force behind Black Balloon Day. She and her daughter did this to uh, help people realize the size of the problem and that if it's occurred in their family, they're not alone. They lost a family member to the disease of addiction four years ago. And it's in his memory, Greg Tremblay, that they have created Black Balloon Day. Um, so, so, Diane, I want to uh, take a moment and talk about this other aspect of, the, of substance abuse and particularly overdose that is written about and talked about. People are growing more aware of it, but I don't. I don't know that it's enough attention has been paid to it. And and you brought it up early on 
and I wanted to talk about that. And th- th- that is the uh, unfortunate circumstance where children who are in the middle of this substance abuse problem uh, find themselves without a stable home, uh, often with parents either incarcerated or in treatment or e- just unable to handle the job of parenting. The kids wind up, if they're lucky, by the way, um, with relatives, and those relatives are very often grandparents. So you have got people like Diane who I'm sure when, when this was thrust upon you, Diane, you, you, you were not planning on having to raise another whole set of children, right? Right. Uh, we definitely were not planning on that. Uh, but obviously this is it, it, it's the need of a, these children, that they need to be in a stable environment with people that love and care for them. And I've seen it with so many of my grandchildren's friends um, that are living with their grandparents, and it's a lot of a lot of children. Yeah, you're in uh, you're in Peabody, Massachusetts, which is, I mean, I know the area. Um, you know, it, it's sort of your garden variety middle class community. I mean, there's no, it's not, it's not some den of crime and corruption. It's just a regular suburban Boston suburban community. Uh, and yet it's been ravaged by this. You said y- your granddaughter's children's and sc- children, friends in school have this have a similar situation. All of my grandchildren, my granddaughter's friends were all being raised by their grandparents when she was in high school. And it, it, it's just amazing to me that this, as you were saying, that, you know, we we live in a, you know, fairly decent neighborhood. It it. It doesn't pick and choose. It, 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 this disease goes after everyone. There's no no one that can escape it. Is there, you know, one of the things that uh, the creation of something like Black Balloon Day can do is, I know you started it in memory of your son-in-law, and we'll talk a little bit more about why that's important to you and your family. But the other thing that comes out of these efforts is the building of communities, as you say, it's to raise awareness, but but you also, as a result of this, now have come in contact with a lot of people in the same situation you've been in. What's that been like? What 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 have you found out about about that from meeting other people and talking to them? Well, we have a group, um, and it's people that have lost someone, and it's it allows people to vent, uh, allows. It allows also people that haven't lost a child that may be having a, have a child struggling to ask for advice, um, um, ask for treatment centers, ask for um, whether Suboxone or Methadone is the way to go, and um, you know, just it's it's just amazing how people get on and just say, "Please help me," and people give their opinions, um, you know, whether it be tough love or you know, whatever the case may be. And that's what this um, our site does for people. It gives you a chance to meet other people that are going through the same thing you're going through, grieving the loss of a of a child. I mean this was my son in law. I mean there's so many women it was their it was their child. Um, and I've met a lot and it just like I said, it doesn't discriminate. Yeah, who that group you say do you meet uh, do you meet regularly, infrequently? How how often does that group meet? Uh, it's just through um, the internet. It's not. Uh, we don't meet anywhere, but it's just somewhere that everyone can just go on and express their feelings or ask questions. Or it's um, we have eight um, about eight thousand members. 
8,000 members in that in just the one group you're aware of. One group that we're aware of, yes. Do you get... We, we're kind of connected with some other groups. Yeah. Do, do you, um, that do you, people can, you know, go back and forth to yeah. talk to different people yeah. in the different groups. Has it been do you, has it been helpful to you and your family to be a, a part of that kind of a community? I mean, on the one hand, people might go, why would you want to keep remembering how bad it was? Is it helpful to you to be part of that community? Um, absolutely. Um, I, I, I have to admit that, you know, when I first heard about heroin abuse and, and always hearing about it being a disease, um, I really didn't, I, I didn't agree. I, I got angry, actually. I thought, how can you tell someone that has never smoked a cigarette or drank a drink, they have cancer? How can you tell them what they have is a disease, but what you have is a disease? I never really understood it, and I understand it now, that it is a disease. These people need help. They, they, they can't do this on their own. You know, you're, again, your, your experience is uh, similar to every, a lot of other people. They begin, first, the anger is a perfectly appropriate spot. How could he have done this? How could, how could they both have jeopardized their children? And then, through some some painful work you find out that yeah they are uh uh they are sick they are having trouble so so in so far as uh, B- uh, black balloon day is going now you said you, there was an enormous rush initially about this have, do you have any kind of figures on how f- far spread it is i can tell you that an internet search here in the philadelphia area in the lancaster county area show there are many communities here that are doing it independently. This is sort of a grassroots thing, right? People don't need to get in touch with you to do this, right? Right. They don't need to get in touch with me at all, and and that's the beauty of it, is, you know, it doesn't have to be a vigil. There doesn't have to be anything. It's a simple balloon. You know, there's no money exchange. um, But what we are doing, we did become nonprofit just recently, um, and, you know, we do want to do some fundraising I, you know, I did go to um, a university in Boston for a weekend and to learn about, I would like to put um, Narcan in public bathrooms. I would like to have it available, you know, like in a locked box, like they have the defibrillator machines. Um, and again, during this weekend conference, which was about opiate addiction, mm-hmm. someone said, well, if I saw a Narcan box in the bathroom, I don't think I would want to go there anymore because I, it would make me think they have a lot of overdoses there. Back to having narrow-minded people. Because there's a defibrillator in a bathroom or in a public place doesn't mean people are having heart attacks there. So it just to have that drug available to you, especially in something like a Dunkin' Donuts or a McDonald's, to have the staff trained because they are the first responders because when they, they could be in the car in the parking lot but somebody is going to alert an employee and say there's someone in your bathroom or there's somebody out in the parking lot and therefore your employees are trained to take that knock in administer it and maybe save a life while someone else is calling 911 to have you know the professionals come the ambulance the fire department mm-hmm. You, uh, you must be surprised to find yourself so passionate about this. I'm sure, as you say, I'm sure there was a time early on when you went, "What are you kidding? These people are doing it themselves. Why are people getting all worked up?" Exactly. 
Yep, I didn't understand it. I, I truly, it truly is a passion of mine now. Uh, like it said, I would like to do some fundraising. Um, I would like to, I would like to educate people. Uh, we have reached out to different, um, you know, different fast food places to see if we could get involved in training. We'd be more than willing to go train their employees. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you know, when we come out when we come back. I want to find out what kind of uh, response you're getting to that because. That's 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 it's a noble effort, but I'll bet you it's not it's not uh, it's not an easy one. Diane Hurley, our guest, she is the founder co-founder of Black Balloon Day, which takes place on March sixth in remembrance uh, of people who've died from drug overdoses, and also as uh, obviously an educational tool to let people know what we're up against. We have more with Diane straight ahead. This is Recovery Radio. We'll be right back. We're back on Recovery Radio. We want to thank uh, uh, Diane Hurley, uh, co-founder of Black Balloon Day for spending this time with us today uh, on the on the program again black balloon day is uh, that day set aside march 6th it's been four years now this is the fourth one that uh where people are urged who have had substance abuse deaths in their family to recognize and remember their loved ones by displaying the black balloon somewhere on the outside of their home and to remind people of the size of this problem and keep attention focused on it um diane uh you know, you, you, you never see this coming, and four or five years later, not only um, are you deep into it, but you're you're an activist now, you are an advocate, you've got, as you said, a passion to let people know that this is a disease, and we uh, appreciate and, and congratulate you on that. So tell me, uh, you were mentioning about going into businesses and saying, look, you know, you gotta you got to have Narcan in your bathrooms, you, you've got to teach your, your employees... What, what what to do in the event of a, an overdose. I'm guessing that a lot of people go, that's a good idea, but when you get in front of a decision maker, it's a little hard to convince them to do this, right? Yes. What are some of the experiences you've had in trying to convince corporate entities that they should get more involved? Well, after um, that weekend retreat that I had went to, I had contacted a major chain that's you know, very well known to everyone and they were very interested about the Narcan and and training their employees but unfortunately they wanted me to educate their staff on how you would recognize someone that is going to overdose and since there is no way of doing that um, they weren't interested they were no longer interested in learning anything about the Narcan well, that's remarkable because, uh, you know, you're right. It's hard to identify a potential. You can't identify a, an overdose until it's occurring. But but even if you could, um, you would think that a big multi-million dollar corporation would find a better source for how to do that than a suburban housewife who's just trying to do her share. Um, there's this, You still run up against this stigma, right? You mentioned that the one woman said, well, I wouldn't go into a fast food place that had... Narcan in the bathroom. That stigma is still a big factor out there, isn't it? It is. I mean, I was very surprised because these were the people that were running this conference. And so when I had this idea, she said, oh, I wouldn't bring my children there if they had that in the bathroom because that would mean people overdose there. 
to me, it's just such negative thinking. And like I said, with you know the defibrillator, when you see those, you don't think, oh, I don't want to go to that concert hall because people must have heart attacks there. So it's just ending the stigma, ending all of this is, is just our goal. And, you know, when we did do Black Balloon Day and we were on the TV, you know, that first year, mm-hmm. you know, right after there wasn't a night that goes by that opiates aren't talked about. Well, you know, we talked about this, you and I, before you came on the air, because um, I, I know the, I know the um, you know, the sort of timeline for you guys on creation of Black Balloon. And when you launched it four years ago, you you called, obviously, they didn't know about you, you called a local television station, and um, what was their reaction four years ago? Uh, very interesting. Well, only one, I, I called three, mm-hmm. only one um, responded. Um, they they came over, they, they did an interview, we do have that um, posted on our, on when you Google Black Balloon Day, um, but I have yet to um, get them to come back, uh, do an update. I, I was told we do um, put balloons on a couple of the local city halls, the railings. And what I was told by people is it looks great, um, but people that have no idea what it means have no idea what it means. Mm-hmm. So I have reached out to the local newspapers to see if they will do an article perhaps the night before. Tomorrow you're going to see a lot of black balloons. This is why. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, but I have yet to have anyone um, do an article for me. Well, well, you're, you're, you know, you're. This is thrust upon you like it is so many people who start organizations uh, uh, to support and educate people. You're finding that you're getting a real quick education in how the media works. There is an initial. Um, first of all, before that, they're not aware that there's a problem. They then become aware of it and um, are falling all each over each other to talk about it and publish and then they sort of move on and and we one of the things that's great about black balloon day among many others and one of the things we try to do here on the program is to make sure people don't forget how big this problem is right and 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 not to be ashamed not to be embarrassed to it, it it's happening to everyone you know 10 years ago you know i wouldn't have known anyone i w- i might have known of somebody that knew of somebody but now just in my own workplace, there is at least six, seven women that have either lost a child or have lost a sibling. And that's a lot in one workplace. It is indeed. You know, and, uh, and, and, and uh, it seemed to me that uh, even if you haven't suffered the kind of loss that the Hurley family has, it might not be a bad idea to put a black balloon up just to, sh- just to show that you're standing with people who have suffered this kind of loss because of the disease of addiction. Black Balloon Day, March 6th. Uh, put a balloon out in memory of these people. Um, and Diane Hurley, thank you for all of your efforts and your time here on the program. We appreciate talking to you. Well, thank you very much for having me. And good luck. Bye-bye. Everybody, take care. We'll be, uh, we'll be, we'll be back with more Recovery Radio. See you later. Bye-bye. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management.